Can anyone tell me what a port key is? Yes, Miss Granger. A port key is an enchanted object that, when touched, will transfer the one or ones who touched it to anywhere on the globe decided upon by the enchanter. Very good. Now, can anyone tell me what foreshadowing is? Yes, Miss Granger. Foreshadowing is a dramatic device in which an important plot point is mentioned early in the story to return later in a more significant way. A very Potter musical. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Essence. And with our favorite month of the year, October, we have a very fun, ominous theme that applies year-round. We are talking about foreshadowing all month long. Foreshadowing is a great tool to use, and it should honestly be there in all of your stories. In all of your books, there is some kind of foreshadowing for how the story will turn out. The foreshadowing is something that is significant, mentioning it, bringing it up without saying why. So you've heard the phrase, the journey is more important than the destination. Foreshadowing takes advantage of that idea, giving the reader an idea of the destination, but it's the how of the journey that keeps the reader engaged. Now for this season, we're splitting it into two parts. The first half, we're going to be talking about tools, different ways that you can foreshadow. And then during the second half, we're going to be talking about plot structures that rely heavily on foreshadowing and how those work. And those structures can be used in any setting, any genre. It is just a structure for how you frame the story. Today, however, we are going to focus on the tool of timing. All about where in your story something falls and how that can be a passive and powerful tool for your foreshadowing. Now, as a reader, you know approximately how long the book is by the number of pages left in said book. You know if you're at the beginning of the story or not. As an author, your characters don't know what's foreshadowing, what's not. Your readers might misinterpret something as foreshadowing if you put it in incorrectly. They might accidentally misinterpret what you're trying to tell them. Knowing how to wield the timing of giving certain information and how the reader will interpret that is incredibly helpful in being subtle, but sticking out just the right amount in your reader's minds. Sometimes that foreshadowing can be subtle enough that you don't recognize it for a while. A lot of the fun of foreshadowing is looking back on it and going through the story a second or third time and recognizing the first time they're keeping a secret. That's not cool. The point is the secret itself. The content of said secret changes the context of the whole scene. Being able to restructure things helps weigh things in your reader's mind depending on where it falls. That's the majority of what we're talking about today. The first type of passive or timing-based foreshadowing is the foregone conclusion. This is the, we already know how it's going to end. It might be a romance novel. You know it's going to end with a happily ever after. That's just how it is. How do you think the Titanic was going to end the movie? If you have ever seen anything about history, you know it's going to end with a lot of people dying as the ship sinks. Romeo and Juliet, 
outright opening monologue beginning, he says, guess what? These two characters are going to die. This is how we get there. The more recent example of that is, I believe it's a YA novel called They Both Die at the End. That is the name of the book. That is foreshadowing that in the end, both of these main characters are going to be dead. All of these are things that your reader knows before they even start reading. It's a foregone conclusion that this is going to happen. In the scheme of passive foreshadowing, this is one of the more obvious ways to do it. But the reader is staying engaged to figure out how they die at the end, to connect those dots and answering those questions with the information that the reader knows, like the title of the book, that the characters don't know. Even though everybody knew the Titanic was going to end in tragedy, they wanted to see the personal stories of these fictional people who were on the boat. The other part of today's episode, we're talking about timing. Where something falls in the story tells us a lot about how we should feel about it. The cinnamon roll character is happy, the villain is conquered, and the main character is about to be crowned king or queen of the realm. But there's 100 pages left. So just where it falls in the story tells the reader there's more story happening here. There's something else that I have to keep reading in order to find out. What are these machinations? Is the villain not actually dead? These types of things. If you find yourself at that point where the cinnamon roll character is happy, the villain is conquered, and the main character has come out on top, and that is honestly the end of your story, and there's still a hundred pages left, you really need to take a look at those last hundred pages and see whether they're worth keeping. Because trust me, they're not. If there is nothing left, if there is no twist, that is going to be very disappointing passive foreshadowing. Another possible example is, I believe it was Rocky 3. It was on the TV at the time. About half an hour into the movie, there's a huge prize fight. We know, because it's only half an hour into the movie, who's going to win this fight. Even if, for some strange reason, the hero does win that fight, something cataclysmic happens that drives the rest of the story forward. As a consumer of the story, we know this because it's not the end of the movie. When it comes to an enemies to lovers story, you can look at where you are in the story to get an idea of where the characters are in that enemies to lovers scale. If they are lovers really early in the book, then you have a problem if you are trying to frame an actual enemies to lovers. They need to be enemies to reluctant allies to companionable allies to friends to lovers. There has to be a scale that they slide through. They can't just be enemies and then suddenly lovers. Another thing that you might not even be aware that you're doing, because I only heard about this maybe a year ago, but the first five characters you name in a story are inferred by the reader to be important in some regard. I recently was going through one of my books and making it into a film script. And in order to foreshadow that this character is going to eventually betray them, I gave lines that belong to this other secondary character to the eventual betrayer. Moved him earlier in the story so that he becomes more relevant to the plot because then he becomes one of those first five. This is something that readers just do naturally. They will look at the credits in order of appearance to see who is important in your story. 
and who they need to remark on. And the more names you feed them, the less likely they are to remember it down the line, unless they are very recurring. The opening scene of this book, theoretically, the hero is an assassin breaking into a castle. As far as named characters, the characters that you name in the story that apply to this rule, they're thinking about their target that they're trying to kill. The guards that they're going through don't name them unless they reappear later in the story. Because if you name them and he's like, hey, Dougal, blah, 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 you can kind of get away with it in dialogue. But if you refer to that character as Dougal in the scene, we're assuming Dougal is coming back at some point. There are exceptions to this, of course. Prologues don't usually count because they should be disconnected from the body of your story. You shouldn't have your main character in your prologue. We've established this before. But you do need to be careful about who you were introducing early. One of the examples that comes to mind for me that did this, I think, poorly was The Six of Crows. I like Six of Crows. It is a good book. I enjoyed it. But the entire first chapter, and yes, it was a first chapter and not a prologue, didn't feature any of the main characters. It just featured interesting plot points that would be relevant later. So we get all of this backstory in history on this character who, by the end of the chapter, is dead. To me, it felt like a waste of time as a first chapter. Now, there are non-ominous ways to foreshadow something. Something as simple as establishing time passing in your novel. Hey, next month, let's meet up and record the podcast. Then the next scene, we're meeting up and recording the podcast. We know that time has passed. We know this much time has passed if other scenes have happened in between. It's a very blatant, non-ominous way of putting a small detail in earlier to make other information later relevant and have a deeper amount of context than what we're seeing just in that chapter. You can also establish recurring events in this way, where you mention that every full moon, people get a little weird. You establish that if people are suddenly really weird, it might be the full moon and something significant is likely going to happen. And of course, non-ominous foreshadowing can apply to ominous things. The title of the book is a good example. If I'm picking up Murder on the Orient Express, you're telling me there's a murder. And it is on the Orient Express. The marketing for the book also plays a part in the foreshadowing. We're going to talk about that actually next episode. But when you are sitting down to write, when you're looking at how you want to tease and play with and manipulate your readers into believing this and that, keep an eye on the things that you're passively telling them by where they are in the story. Because that in and of itself is the simplest form of foreshadowing. You can have a lot of fun with it. You can mess with your readers, but only if you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>